Hi, this is Sean Ferrick from Trek Culture. You are listening to Spock the Week podcast. Welcome to Spock the Week, the show where two pals attempt to talk about Star Trek. Each week we will be discussing a different topic and bringing you some laughs, some jokes and occasionally a Gregor rant. If you like what you are listening to, then please consider subscribing to us on the platform of your choice. And also you can follow us on Twitter at Spock Week, and also on Facebook by searching Spock the Week. If you like what you are listening to as well, you can support the show by visiting buymeacoffee.com forward slash Spock the Week pod. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Spock of the Week. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Gregor Cameron. Evening. As you all know, I am the Alba Android. And this week, we are not joined by any guests because Gregor has successfully managed to scare them off. Last week's episode, Gregor was unavailable for recording, so uh, he was uh, very kindly replaced by our mutual friend, Dan Decker, um, who did an absolutely fantastic job, by the way. He even did a really good impression of you, uh, Gregor. I was I was impressed. Uh, I, I thought you were in the oh, room really? for a second. Yeah, yeah, he did. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he did. He did a really good impression well, of you. You've kept that quiet until now. Well, I, I wanted to surprise you. I didn't want you to uh, get any ideas that I was trying well, to replace. I'll, I'll, I'll have to be uh, looking into this. Uh, unauthorised impersonations are not welcome. <laughs> oh, Dan Decker, he's coming for you, boy. He's coming for you. <laughs> well, um, so yeah, it's just me and Gregor this week. So we didn't really, we were struggling and scratching our heads to find out what we were going to talk about. Uh, so we just decided to roll with it and see what happens and just have a, a general discussion about Star Trek and what we've been up to and and such like. So I'll kick this off uh, this week with the fact that when I am now re-watching TOS, uh, or fully completely watching TOS, probably some episodes for the first time. And I'm doing this in a rather sort of cheeky way by um, force-feeding my, my son uh, Star Trek while putting him to his bed on an evening. We sit and watch TV for a little bit before he goes to his, his bed. So I've decided to start watching the original series with him, and it's had some mixed results. I mean, let's just put things into perspective at the moment. He is only two years old, so he won't be taking any of the stories in. He won't be understanding what's going off. All he will see is what's going off on the on the screen. But I've had some mixed results with him. He, there are some episodes where he's, um, he's actually paid full attention to the screen, some episodes where he's not even bothered and then there's an occasional episode where he starts to watch it and then falls asleep at the moment i've got as far as i mud and so you're not you're not that far in not that okay. far in at the moment yeah. um but i've gotten i've started to watch the next again episode which i can't remember off the top of my head the, the name of but he wasn't on that particular evening he wasn't interested at all he just was not interested in the tv so it, it was switched off so i haven't got around to watching that particular episode just think it's episode nine 
So what do you think it is about the episodes that is catching his interest? Is it the primary colours? I would say so, so. yeah, I, I would it, say so. It, in terms of its look, um, it can be a bit Teletubby-like in its look with all the primary colours. And I think and that's kind of... That it was one of the first colour TV programmes, um, so they really went for it with the, uh, the bold colours, not just in the uniforms, but when mm -hmm. they went down to planets and the map paintings that were doing of the planets with all different kinds of skies. Um, really went for it on the colours. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why I decided to to go for TOS as a as a watch uh, through with him because of that uh, attention. Because I remember growing I up. I think TOS was a lot common with Discovery. Oh, okay. Yeah. Show you working out. Um. Well, and uh, for me, the first season of TOS was the best one. And okay. Discovery, the first season was the best one. And by the time you get to season three of TOS, look, there's a there's a couple of gems in there, but it's largely shit. And Discovery is just largely shit in the first season. And I've only watched two episodes in the first season. So people are welcome to have a vote made for calling it shit when I've only seen a few episodes, but that was all I had to see. Well, fair enough. And at the end of the day, Gregor, you are entitled to your opinion. Um, and... That's fair enough. You know, not going to argue with that. You're not going to tell me I'm wrong, but you're not going to tell me I'm right either. So, but yeah. So let's. Just my theory. No, like I say, you are in, you are perfectly entitled to to say that. I mean, at the end of the day, we sh we shouldn't be in any position where we stop people from disliking a show. Uh, we don't, ha you know, you don't have to explain to anybody why you don't like the show. If you don't like it, you don't like it. So, and it should be a case of, you know, all right, you don't like it, fair enough, we'll move on. Unless you're a co-host so, on Spock the Week, and then it constantly gets brought up to wind him up. But so did you? Because the next episode after Must Women is what our little girls need on. So did you watch it? Uh, no, uh, like I say, you haven't um, watched it. I haven't watched yeah. that one yet because, uh, like I say, uh, like all good two-year-old children, he is unpredictable, so it doesn't have the same bedtime every night. So unfortunately, on that night, it was a case of TV off and back to the old traditional way of going to bed. But mm. like I say, the last full episode watched through was um, I Mud, which I found a little, even for TOS, a little strange. Uh, not in a bad way, because I thought that the um, the miming and the, in, the acting uh, within acting from Spock and McCoy and Kirk, when they were sort of trying to confuse the androids i found that rather entertaining i think that was that that was beautiful and mm. it was it was one of those things where you look like again i i like to see when actors have something they can enjoy and they have a little bit of fun with and you can tell they had a little bit of fun with that but you could you could tell it was of his time it, it, it's one of those episodes where it is very dated very, very dated. 
I think, I mean, I don't, I don't think Mitch Williams is a great episode. I don't think Harry Mudd is a particularly good character. And they brought him back for another episode in TOS. I think there's far better episodes of TOS. Um, certainly in its attitude towards women. Oh, definitely, um, definitely. It wasn't, it wasn't the greatest moment, which sort of perplexed me when they brought Harry Mudd back in Discovery. Why did they bring Harry Mudd back? All the people who could have brought back, could have brought many, many people back. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, but the thing is, what, what I will say about that particular instance is having watched the original series, Harry Mudd, hmm. um, which, to be fair, like I say, you 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 don't agree you don't think he's one of the best characters and to be fair I'm I'm I don't dislike the character but I'm not I wouldn't say he was one of the best. But having said that, um you'll have to forgive me because I'm useless with names here, but the actor that played him I think did a really uh, really good job of it, I think. And one thing I will say is that yes they brought him back in Discovery, but Rain Wilson really did do a, I think, a good job of capturing the the personality of Mud. Now he didn't, like I say, um, copy the original, but he took the personality and the attitude and all the other demographics of that character and made it his own. And I think it worked. Did they need to do it? Nah, not really. I mean, it's not the same. The Harry Mudd Discovery is a different kettle of fish altogether because he's actually quite intelligent and competent. Um, and that came back to haunt them when they brought him back for music to make the same as Man Go Mad. Um, the, the ending was just an absolute cop-out on that episode, but that's a whole different podcast in itself. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, the Harry Mudd in the original series was just a, just a buffoon, basically. Um, and nothing menacing about him at all. Uh, so, I yeah, think I, mean, I do think that the Harry Mudd character was a missed opportunity. Um, both in the original series and when they brought him back for uh, Discovery. Now, one thing I will say as well, having watched both, that they did. They did go through canon when it came to Harry Mudd's wife, Stella. Because as we as we know when watching I Mud, he is running away from Stella, his in the original series, wife. In Discovery, he didn't get married to Stella until after he was handed back over at the end of, you know, as you said, a cop out. So, in respect, they did look and they did follow some form of canon, some form of, they, you know, they looked at what had gone before them. Probably one of the few times they actually did, but they did. But how yeah, is that? That's one of the problems with setting the show 10 years before the original series and then introducing mm -hmm. characters from the original series and they, they, they restricted themselves. You know, and it, this is, you know, and I'm not. I am not going to blame Kurtzman for that, because that falls squarely at the foot of Brian Fuller. That was his idea. Mm -hmm. So that, he gets the blame for that one, not Kurtzman. So, 
first and foremost, one of my two of my favourite um, episodes uh, was the Galileo Seven mm-hmm. and Doomsday. The Doomsday yeah. Machine. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether that ties in with what you uh, what is commonly believed to be the best episodes or not. I don't know whether that corresponds or not. Well, I certainly, I mean, Galileo Seven is one of my favourites, but I'm, I'm disappointed that you haven't got as far as what a lot of kills me though. Um, because that is the episode that features this, the cup dildo. Oh, okay. So um, for the those legendary, the legendary cup dildo. For those uh, listening at home, Gregor has uh, just shown me a screenshot of uh, Kirk's dildo. Well known that that is Kirk's dildo. It's even got its own Twitter account, I think, at Kirk's dildo, I believe it's called. Yes, um, and I have had a couple of retweets from that particular uh, account as well, so I've not seen anything of it for a little while, but I don't know what the script is with that. But yeah, um, I could say it so far, so I I will say this, I am actually enjoying watching through I mean we're not talking about individual episodes here but we're talking about the whole experience of watching through and it is quite interesting and enjoyable to watch the characters to watch um, Kirk, Spock and McCoy that little holy trinity of um, friendship and banter and and stuff like that I mean one thing I will say though in uh, iMod and is I cannot get over Chekhov's hair. He's not in iMud. He's in Mud's Women, but he's not in iMud. Uh, sorry, Mud's Women, sorry, and uh, it yeah. was uh, Doomsday. Uh, sorry, Cat's Paw, Doomsday. Cat's Paw, that's what I was cat's thinking. Paw. That's oh, what I was thinking. Oh, Cat's Paw. Oh, not, not, not great. Not great. In fact, oh, you, you and I... That is so dated. You and I could go to the pub, drink 12 pints of lager each, strong lager, and then come up with a better episode ourselves. I have to say, even by TOS standards, that episode was... I mean, where were they going with it? Where were they going with it? I mean, I know... It was meant to be a Halloween special. You know, they love their Halloween in America, and they love their big Halloween specials and their Christmas specials. Um, So that's... You know, that, that, that's what it's for, but it's pretty cool. That's even by 1960s, 70s, 80s television standards. Yes, it's, it's cheesy as fuck. Don't get me wrong, I love okay. a good bit of cheese. I mean, we, you know, we all know that there are episodes that are so bad they're good, and, you know, one of our favourite bones is the uh, threshold, for example. Um, don't slag threshold. I'm not slagging it, mate. I'm just classic. saying it's it's quality cheese. It's like it's like the brie of the. <laughs> um, and what's that DS9 episode that we uh, that oh, they got that bloody move along home? Yeah. Oh god, I've got that. I've got that bloody song stuck in my head now. Yeah, it's there. It, that's not going anywhere. Oh yeah, I've got to sing it to you. 
Oh no. I only ring. Guarantee for you. I only ring. Oh. <laughs> Honestly, boy. Right, cool. Honestly, boy. And the, you know, you know what? It's actually and um, one thing I will say is it's rather refreshing after watching Discovery and Picard and re-watching Voyager for the 150th time. It's quite refreshing to go back to where it all started and and watch and when you put it into perspective, you watch something that didn't really get off the ground initially. You know, it was only three seasons. It's it wasn't until when when was the first convention? It was in the reruns. It was in the reruns, wasn't it? Yeah. It was when the show first started in 1966. They didn't. They had. Um, they had few figures, but they didn't have the the Nielsen figures as we would count them today. But mm-hmm. it was about the time the show ended, or around about the time that they were starting to syndicate it around. That means nothing to UK fans. What syndicated TV is it probably means nothing to American fans anymore. So I don't think it's the kind of thing that they do. No, they have, they have a lot more localized TV in America. So. Uh, a network would produce your screw and then sell it to the different networks or syndicate it. And that's how Star Trek worked, I believe. Any Americans listening, uh, feel free to correct me, but it's a completely foreign concept to us here in the UK in our one time zone. Um, and it was when they went into syndication, they were getting much more data about the demographics of who was listening. So it was beyond who, you know, the actual viewing figures. It was okay, well, we've got a really high. Um, following here in you know 18 to 25 year olds and, and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and that then had the knock-on effect that the local stations could then target the advertising and produce more advertising revenue the more they repeated and the show and that's why it became such a big success in the in the reruns or part of why it became a big success in the reruns but in terms of, of quality i mean I, we've discussed this before it's, mm-hmm. it's not my favorite series um, but I do acknowledge that it is the source of everything. Hand on heart of the, the 79 episodes, I'd say 25 to 30 are what I would call proper Star Trek. Um, mm-hmm. Some episodes are a little bit limited because of the budget of the show at the time. But, um, there was too many, too many shows, to my liking, that took place on what looked like Earth in the 1930s or what looked like Earth during the Roman times. So they, they, they used that um, quite a lot because obviously they were just wanting to use the sets that were around. I was going to say, is that just because there was just happened to be Ben-Hur filming two st- studios yeah. down and they yeah. thought, oh, I will use that, you know? Yeah, that, 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 that's, uh, that, that's what happened there. Uh, I think, to me, all, all the very best episodes um, or the majority of them uh, happen in, in space, funnily enough. Uh, I think, you know, let that be your last battlefield predominantly happens in space. Um, it's the one with the Romulans. Mm-hmm. The ones um, with the Romulans, but Mark Leonard plays the Romulan for the first time. It's in season one. Uh, I'm going to have to look the answer up because it's, I'm annoyed that I can't remember the 
Well, while you're uh, while you're having a look at that yeah. as well, balance of terror. That's it. Balance, balance of, of terror. No balance of balance of terror uh, is in space. The program lives in space. There's, or, or most of the technology there. So there are some really good ones that take place on, on planets. Yeah, you were saying about uh... yeah. Well, um, the one with John God, I've got Alzheimer's tonight. Jeez, oh, the one with Edith Keeler must die. Goodness sake, Greg, come on. Come on, Jade, you help me. Edith Keeler must die. Oh, is that City not Terrace? Yes. Funny how we both City got there Major in the forever. same time. City Major Forever obviously takes place uh, on a planet. It's Erin of Mercy takes place on a planet. Um, but I, I think the majority of the what I consider the, the real classics, the proper starship that take place in space, probably just to use the probably the episodes where they didn't have a lot of money and they had to write something that took place on the ship because that was all we could afford. Um, and it's funny how often that happens, not just in the TOS, but um, in a lot of the series where they have these bottle episodes um, and some of the best writing comes out of that and the best stories and the best episodes come out of it. It's, uh, it's amazing how often that happens. Exactly. I mean, what's compared to... Um because I want to sort of spear this onto something that I think we should mention as it's just recently happened um, since the last recording that we made. Um, Christopher Plummer, uh, unfortunately, is, uh, is no longer with us. Um, you've not heard... Shakespeare until you've heard it in the original. What do you think about that? Do you think what's uh, what's your opinion? Because I mean, I, I I mean, in the film, I love the character. I love because I don't know why, having knowing what Klingons, have, you know, become what we further understand later down the line in canon and that. What's your personal opinion on that particular that particular movie and, and uh, Plummer's performances? Well, well, the genesis of all that stuff that's in the undiscovered country um, really started years before the movie. Uh, really started before Star Trek II and Nicholas Meyer, who was a, a novelist before he became a director. Uh, you know, very, very story oriented, story about the characters and how the characters change uh, from within. And obviously, wrote Star Trek 2, and that was meant to be the undiscovered country, which is a reference to a, ham a scene in Hamlet where they're talking about death, and death is the undiscovered country. Anyway, so they went for the Wrath of Khan and eventually for, for two, and when he was invited back to write and direct six, he then called it the Undiscovered Country, again, using his knowledge of Shakespeare. But then one of the, the stars is Christopher Plummer. And Nicholas Meyer, being the, the smart writer that he was, knew to get lots of Shakespeare in there. You know. Christopher Plummer, for all his success in big movies like uh, Dreamscape, I think he was in, and Sound of Music, obviously, and other oh, big, yeah. big movies that he was. He was first and foremost a theatre actor. Mm -hmm. 
and still walk up and, you know, did a mix of movies and TV and theatre right up until, um, unfortunately, the, he's passed. I mean, he, he won an Oscar at 88 years old. Uh, so, that's <laughs> yeah, not, not to be sniffed at, is it really? Um, so, and then because of the story of, of Six that, that Nicholas Meyer wrote, the parable on the fall of the Soviet Empire and Hamlet and aging and dying of the, you know, aging and eventual. You know, <laughs> death of the, the, the crew because they were sailing off into the sunset to, to never make it again. Um, he introduced all these Hamlet uh, quotes into it and had a bit of fun with it by saying that Hamlet was thing on. And, you know, when you, you've got a great actor, and interestingly, Christopher Plummer, he didn't refuse the ridges, but he didn't want the heavy makeup that they were playing on, so. And he wasn't the only Shakespearean actor there because David Warner, who played Chancellor Gorkham, uh, was a classic Royal Shakespeare actor as well. That's something that uh, Star Trek's had a lot of success with, uh, I think, with casting its actors is people who have stage experience and particularly Shakespearean, you know, uh, I mean, you just got to look at uh, Patrick Stewart, for example. Um, and then you've got Kate Mulgrew, who was a, a Broadway uh, stage actor as well as TV and other things as well but there always seems to be this connection between the stage and Star Trek and is that because there's a particular sort of way of telling the story the you know or is it just by chance that every really good character and actor that's ever been in Star Trek just happens to follow that particular particular demographic. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I'd be reluctant to, to use the term jobbing actors for a lot of the, the people that have had that career path uh, mm. to Star Trek. But, you know, one that you missed out was Armin Shimmerman, who not only was a Shakespearean actor, but actually, uh, isn't he a professor? Because he teaches Shakespeare? I so, believe he is. Would, we would have to ask uh, our... You know, he must have some sort of... PhD in English literature or something like that to, to, to do what he does now for, for a living. But he certainly a um, trained Shakespearean actor and has acted a lot of Shakespeare. In fact, there was even one episode of The West Wing where it was a Shakespeare type play and they actually got Armin Shimmerman in to play it. I think he was a lot more than just going on and reading his lines. I think he was they are consulting on that episode about how it should look, uh, etc. as well. If, you, if you're listening, Armin, feel free to correct me. And I think there's a there's a tragic Shakespearean quality to a lot of the characters that come in to Star Trek. Uh, you know, John Delancey would also fall into that character, that, that category of uh, trained stage actor, professional. Uh, stage actor, uh, and you you, uh, you do get that a lot with the with, with Q because that character is very um, Q, stage. Q thinks, he's, Q's a, Q thinks he's a hero in his own mind, <laughs> and Hamlet was a hero in his own mind, and and this is the this is the thing where um, anti heroes or your chief protagonist 
and and he shows that, that you know every good villain thinks he's the the hero of his own story, and doesn't happen too often. Doesn't happen often enough that you get the meat in the bones of a villain. You know, I know you're watching Deep Space Nine with me now, but we haven't got to the really juicy bits um, where we see the real epic Shakespearean story of Cardassians and um, Jeffrey Coombs' character, Ray Yoon, uh, the Vortar. And see, there's um, on, the, on that particular subject of Deep Space Nine, um, I am really wanting to get a, a wriggle on with with watching that because um there's a there's a gentleman on that i follow on on tiktok and he's uh, on a new number of occasions done recitals or lip syncs recitals of uh cisco monologues or epic moments from uh and just listening to these uh, snippets of Cisco's dramatic, and it's obviously, um, I don't know a lot about it, but it's obviously coming from the Dominion Wars and that, that, you know, that stage of Deep Space Nine, which we are a, a little fair bit away from getting to. But just listening to the, you know, these sound clips, it's really whetting my appetite for what's coming you know what I'm going to, you know, get to, because I'm like, okay, this sounds, this is just sound I'm listening to, but I want to see what this actually looks like. I want to see what this feels like, you know, and get that. And obviously, you only really get the, the sense of, um, the emotion and the passion and everything else that's in that scene by knowing what's gone before, because you said it yourself. Deep Space Nine is good to watch, but you only really get the true, you know, true moment or the true feeling of the moment, knowing what's gone before. So it's yeah. like, you, you, you know, there are episodes where you can just go in and watch a random episode, but you wouldn't understand, you know, the, you the can, reasoning. You can, you, can watch, you can watch stuff like The Magnificent Ferengi or, or Little Greek Men or trials and tribulations, and mm -hmm. not know an awful lot of DS9 and, and enjoy those episodes. But if you see more of DS9 uh, and you're a DS9 fan, you'll get more out. But it's like Avengers Endgame. Um, I know I know people that only really saw Infinity War and Endgame mm -hmm. and said that they really liked it, and that puzzled me. Uh, yeah, because there's a lot in that where you only really get if you've seen the other films. So like if you've seen Doctor Strange, if you've seen uh, Black Panther, if you've seen, obviously, the Iron Man films and the previous Aven uh, Avengers films. You know, it's a good film. Don't get me wrong. It's a good film. You can stand alone watch the film. But I see, the thing is, the, the reward that comes at the very end of Endgame, Okay, so if you've watched Steve Rogers' journey from mm. the first Avenger through the key Captain America films and the four uh, Avengers movies, plus his little cameos in Spider-Man and various other ones that he done little cameos in, 
And, and yes, Sonny and Game, they do their best to, to give the audience that maybe don't know the backstory about him and Peggy and stuff like that. But that, that end scene, unless you followed that right through, I don't think you'll, I'm not saying that you won't appreciate that scene at the end where him and Peggy are dancing, but if you have seen the whole series and certainly the whole Captain America, Steve Rogers story, that, that scene is, is, is much more fulfilling. Um, yeah, and Richard. I mean, t- to be honest with you, I think that's a it's a it's a great example of what can be done with a film. Um, now, like I say, everybody has different preferences, have have different tastes and stuff like that. So it's it's a bit difficult to say this is what makes a good film and this what doesn't make a good film. But having said that, Avengers Endgame. Is one of those films, even you know, that it covers, it ticks all the boxes. You can go and watch it, you know, and find it entertaining if it's the first one you've ever seen. Because I've heard of people that have seen Endgame and then gone back to watch the previous films in order to find out what the backstory is, to find out, well, why is that, you know? But it's, well, it's, it's, it does that thing very well where it, it caters for new, uh, well, it's, it doesn't really, it's not aimed at new audiences, but it, it's, there's enough in there to pacify a new audience, if that makes any sense. Well, you see, first thing I saw The Winter Soldier, I thought it was absolute shit. Now, it mm. probably wasn't the best, um, Place to watch it, which was an overnight flight to Hanoi uh, in Vietnam. So it probably wasn't the best viewing experience uh, watching it on a, <laughs> a plane. But I thought, oh shit, it's an absolute shit. And I hadn't seen the Winter, uh, the first Avenger at this point. And then it was one day, months later, I was just looking for something. It must have been on Netflix. It wasn't working that day or whatever. I was looking for stuff to watch on Netflix. And um, Captain America, the, the first Avenger. And I, for some reason, I just played it and enjoyed it. And then when I got to the end of it, I went, actually, there's stuff in the Winter Soldier now that makes a lot more sense. I need to watch the Winter Soldier again. So I watched the Winter Soldier, and it was a much better film once I saw the first Avenger. And conversely, and I've said this on a few of the podcasts, as, as Nicholas Meyer keeps saying on the, the, the uh, commentary for Raph of Khan, everything that you experience in the past enhances what you're experiencing now. So if you go back, if you know more about Steve Rogers now and you go back and watch The Winter Soldier, you mm-hmm. get a lot more out of it now, uh, as is the case with all the Marvel films, because you start spotting stuff that you never spotted before. Um, you know, um... <sighs> I was like, when you said to me, this is not the, uh, when you were saying you, you watched it on the, on a flight to Hanoi, I just, uh, I just started getting, don't know why, but it, all the songs from Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket started popping into, started popping into my head and don't, don't ask me why, but. <laughs> But um, <laughs> the animals, we got to get out of this place. 
Oh, I sing that every time I'm at work, mate. Um, but the thing is, I personally, when it comes to the films, I enjoy every single film. There are some that I, I mean, talking about Star Trek, there are some that I will watch over and over and over again. And the um, Generations is one of them. And that gets a bit of a, that gets a bit of a rap, I think. And we, we've, we've talked in detail about the films in the past, so we'll not go into too much here. Um, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, it is, uh, it's in the archive section of the spot of the week, so you can go back and listen to what we what we think. That's that's one of the films that I say I, I watch over and over again. But that, to be honest with you, I, I just watch it for that one scene. And I do this with a lot of uh, a lot of films, but I watch it for that one scene where they're crashing into the planet. And there's Commander Data at Ops, you know, swearing. Oh shit. <laughs> you know, and. I there's just something about that character doing making that saying that line that just cheers me up I can't can't think I can't think why I can't put my finger on it it's just one of those things where it just cheers me up and I do this with a few other films as well the other film that I watch for one line is have you seen Rampage no no it's actually not a bad film it's might not be your particular cup of tea, Gregor, but it's not actually a bad film. But I watched that for one line from Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And uh, the line is when science shits the bed, I'm the one they call to change the sheets. Now it doesn't sound too wonderful and brilliant with me saying it, but when you imagine Jeffrey Dean Morgan saying that in his classic delivery, you know, that only he can do. It's, again, it's one of those one-line moments where I'll stay awake and watch the film, and then after that, I can fall asleep after that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and there's a couple of other Star Trek films that do the same thing as well, but the main one, like I say, is, is Generations. Is there anything that you... See, I wouldn't I would care if they ever made another Star Trek film. Really? Okay. Do you think, do you think Star Trek's yeah. at its time as a... Is, is that just oh, a personal I thing, or...? I, I wouldn't care if they never made another episode of Star Trek. Ooh. No, we've, already got, we've already got 800. Um, That's true. That's true. Films. We don't, you know, we don't need it anymore. Um, however, if you are going to make it, make it good. Well, it's like the saying goes, you but know, I, be- I, beauty is in the, higher of the in, in the eye of the beholder, so... You know what you might consider um, to be good might be not be the same as somebody else. So, but again, going back to what we said earlier, opinions, you know, you're entitled to them. Me personally, well, I, finished, I finished Lord Dex last night. Oh, you actually know. watched it through. Yeah. Um, I know it's um, not your. It's, I know it's not your style, but overall, from end to end, what did you think of it? Um, well, this is not to say that it's good. Um, but it's miles better than Picard and Discovery. You know but, that's actually a common a common thread to be to be honest. But I didn't watch it and think you know what 
That is exactly the adult-orientated Star Trek animation series that we're all waiting for. Okay. I've never spoke to anyone at a convention that's went, you know, wouldn't it be really great if we had an adult-orientated animation series? Um, really? Uh, it's just... I think to be I think to be honest with you, it's it was it was one of those things where they were trying a different, you know, a different method. You know, so I mean, they was trying something new with Discovery. They were trying something new with Picard, and they were trying something new with Lower Decks. And I think personally, Lower Decks landed. Um, again, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Um, personally, I think. They did the references well. They did the they did canon well. It's not, and this is the beautiful thing about it. I think personally, is it's not meant to be a, you know, an accurate, realistic trek. It's meant to be slapstick. It's meant to be tongue in cheek. It's meant to be funny. It's the comic relief. And that's why, to be perfectly honest with you, it's good that the, the episodes are only 10, 15 minutes long. Or whatever, you know, they're very short. I'd, and I think that, that suits it perfectly because I don't think it would have worked if they'd have done anything longer. It's it's satirical. It's, it's, it's Star Trek looking at itself and having a little chuckle. But when they did the references, they did them well. I think they did them sympathetically. Uh, one of my favourite moments, and you probably know where I'm going with this, is in the last episode. Um, when we see the... This is where you chime in, Gregor. Come on. I mean... The Titan. The Titan, or Riker and Troy. Come yes. Yeah. Yeah. One, of my, one of the problems I have with it, and it is one of the problems that I certainly have with Discovery, is the references. Um there's okay. an awful lot of references to previous Star Trek. Uh, why? I think it's I think it's just I think it's just cheap. Uh, oh, Star Trek fans, let's just keep mentioning troubles or mentioning the Doomsday Machine or, or um, and just like a, a, at least a dozen references of the episode that we had to previous Star Trek. Uh, no standard one two three. In Discovery, they have a lot of references as well, but they're euphemistically called Easter eggs. In discovery, um, I, I think that's remember. the I think that's the common term for it now. I think is yeah. uh, Easter eggs. I, I think that's the. Um, I don't remember that many Easter eggs in Voyager. I don't remember that many Easter eggs in Deep Space Nine. Well, certainly there would have been none in the Enterprise because it took place before mm -hmm. uh, the rest of them. So I don't remember those. You know, those shows haven't been stand on shoulders. I think it's uh, it's a it's a sign of of modern television and, and film now that it's dropping references either in your face or subtly into um, into new CVs and new films. I think it's just the done thing. Is it always necessary? Is it always necessary? I, I don't I don't know. I don't, but I don't see, know. See, this, this is the thing, because story-wise, uh, particularly the last episode, uh, you know, taking out a lot of the silliness that I couldn't do all of them. Mm -hmm. Some of the jokes land, some of them don't. Um, well, Story-wise, that, that was that was a pure Star Trek story. Mm. That last episode, and a lot of the episodes were much more uh, Star Trek type 
stories and themselves than so, what I've seen from any of the other two series that we've had. So do you think if they dialed it back a bit with the references and the, I mean, I think the comedy lands, but I think the references and the Easter eggs, as you say, quote unquote, do you think if they dialed that back a bit, do you think it would be a bit more? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I might find that I might, it might be one thing less for me to complain about, but I don't think it would make me enjoy it anymore. Put it this way, so make a second series. To make a second series, don't mind sticking a second series on and watching it if it's of the same. Well, um, to be honest with us, the first, but I've not watched the last. 10 or 11 episodes of Discovery, and I don't care that I've not watched them. That's, so that's actually um, lower decks and Discovery. So that's actually quite high praise coming from you, then, Gregor. To be honest with you, that you, you would you would give a second series of lower decks a show. Um, that's actually that is really that is really high praise for those of you that have not listened to this show before. Um, for Gregor to say that based on one season. It's not necessarily an endorsement, but it certainly isn't a criticism. Um, but, but yeah, I think I think for me, it it was it was that light. Just everything because you've got this, you've got the extra uber seriousness of Picard and uh, Discovery, whether you like it or not. And then, like I say, you've got this, which was like I say, the comic. The comic relief outside of that, and I thought I said I think it was I really enjoyed, and it's proved to be quite popular because there are quite a lot of people making cosplays of the uniforms, for example. I mean, you just got to look at Twitter on Star Trek Twitter, and you see the amount of people who have had their avatars digital, put my tongue in, digitally modified so that they are. Lower deck characters. You 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 may or may not have seen this yourself when you've been looking through. Yeah, I have seen. I have seen. So it's it's proven to be a popular a popular market, and I think one of the things that was has helped bring a few people into and got them curious about Star Trek is the fact that the same guys that did this are the same guys that did Rick and Morty, which is a hugely popular um, adult centric cartoon. I, I would. I would have more confidence that if people who haven't been into Star Trek before watch Lower Decks, that that would be much more your typical Star Trek fan. I'm not convinced, certainly not convinced Discovery's attracting Star Trek fans at all. It's, at all. it's attracted because, people because, to the franchise, maybe. but it has, it has attracted people to the franchise and only time will tell whether they stick with it or whether they even you know, like any of the other stuff, but at the end of the day, this is just a personal yeah. opinion. Star Trek fandom yeah. is one of those things where it is what you make it, it's what I make it, it's what you, Gregor, yeah. make it, it's what anybody else makes it. And if Discovery is somebody's fandom, they're a Trekkie. If if DS9's their fandom, they're a Trekkie. If they like all of it, they're a Trekkie. You know what I mean? Um, where I draw the line is turning around to somebody else it's like you don't like discovery i do but turning around to you and attacking you gatekeeping you gaslighting whatever just because you don't like something i like that's where the line's drawn 
that's where it's that's that's where it becomes an issue. That's not so, what you said the last episode. Shh. You were furious the last episode. You were furious. <laughs> for weeks I've been saying, did you see the last episode of Discovery to try and catch you out? And then when I finally said, did you see the last episode of Discovery, and you turned into me in your review of it. Well, to be fair, I still like Discovery, right? But the last episode of Discovery was a little bit of a, not a disappointment for me, but it had some, it had the issues. It really did have the issues. Um, I mean, one of the, I mean, a couple of the big ones, we've, we've mentioned this before, was the TARDIS bloody turbo lift scenes. Um, that I might not, not be. I never that. mentioned it. You mentioned it. I never mentioned it. This is the thing. I mean, yeah, you're right. But the thing is, is I can still like it. It's just like I say, that one episode, it's like, where, what, who, what, where did this come from? You know, did somebody forget the dimensions? I mean, it's like you said, and I don't particularly agree with the sentiment behind it, but I do agree with the, um, where you were going with it, is the, the Star Trek is now becoming a science fantasy more than a science fiction. And that last episode kind of proved your point, which is the most annoying thing about it. I'm being proved right. That's, You're actually that's being proved angry. Yeah. You're actually being proved right for a change. Um, dear, dear Alex Kurtzman, stop proving Gregor wrong. It's making my life hell. Exactly. Proving Gregor. Stop proving him wrong. It's making my life hell. But to be fair, I can I can forgive things like that. What I felt was a little bit and I I'm not going to make a final judgment on it until we see season four to see how they open season four. But I, f I feel that in the last episode of season three, the, uh, Saru was a I think he got disrespected a little bit in the last episode because there was no ceremonial handing over of the captaincy from Saru to Burnham. You know, all we all we hear is that Saru's gone back to um, whatever his planet's called. I forget off the top of my head. Uh, Kaminar. He's gone back to Kaminar, and Burnham's now in the captain's chair. To be perfectly honest with you, that's where she should have been from the start, because um, you've mentioned this on numerous occasions that a central character being a secondary. A secondary character in the in the ship you know your, your central character has always been the captain of the ship or the commander of the space station or whatever you've always said that and i think now that burnham's in the hot seat i think we could see a whole new discovery in season four but i think it's, i mean it's going to have to be i mean they got to the end of season one that wasn't for whatever reason um they felt strongly enough that we're, right, we're going to have to um, do a reboot for, reboot for season two. So they brought in Pike and the Enterprise in number one. And then at the end of the season two, they've went, oh, right, okay, it's still, it's still not right. So we'll jump 932 years into the future. And now they've just given them grey uniforms. And again, this is coming from someone who hasn't watched it, folks. So I uh, will openly admit that. Uh, and 
they've made a captain. So there'll be some kind of soft reboot of Discovery again for season four. And, and that, that's concerning me. And it's not, Star Trek has done it in the past. I'll hold my hand up and say that um, the introduction to war wasn't quite on the scale of jumping 900 years into the future. Um, but it was a, a, a course correction more than a, a change in direction. It's more a course correction for Deep Space Nine. So it is, it is something that we've done before, but... Um, I mean, it does. I will. I will give you. I will give you that with the discovery. With discovery, is that each season has been a, instead of being a gradual reboot or a realignment of the story or the demographic, it's been quite snappy fingers. If if that makes any sense, you know, it's just gone from one extreme to the other. Um, Personally, um, I enjoyed season two, but I would like to have seen more of Laurel's story and the development of, of um, her story as Klingon Chancellor. We don't see them at all in season season three. We don't see, you know. See, the, Laurel was there in season two. She was there in season two. Didn't but... do very much in season two, but she was there no. because she was a popular character for season from season one. And you know, this is this is the problem with what. But the thing is, is that it tied it tied in season two to season one. Um, and I, I feel like you know it's like there's a few species from Star Trek that you know we I think we should be seeing a lot more of, and I don't mean like every episode, but. You know, we should be seeing because they, you know, it's almost as if they don't exist, or at least let us get an episode where the fact that we don't see them, there's a reason for that. Um, I mean, like you've mentioned in the past, the Romulans and their, uh, their the way their their ships are driven, you know, stuff like that. That's. I mean, where are they? I mean, you'd think yeah. you'd think that a species that has a completely different method of propulsion would thrive and be well, the dominant species in well, you know per particularly when your sister series has just had 200 knowledge starships turn up at the android planet all powered by singularities mm -hmm. and it took the whole starfleet to, to chase them away and now starfleet is basically impotent was that actually was that actually really Starfleet though? This is one thing I've actually wondered, because at the end of Picard, there's that um, uh, thing the the Doctor does where she projects her holographic self all around the the bridge of Picard's ship. So there's there's multiple images of her. Was there really that many Starfleet ships there, or was that just a holographic projection? Yeah, no, because the holographic projector was on the, um, what was the name of, what's his face, his ship? See, I don't even know the characters and names of the ship. That's a, like an impact. That, exactly, that exactly. I mean, you know something, I haven't actually, I haven't actually rewatched that at all. I did try, but I, I haven't actually rewatched that at all. Which, I mean, I've rewatched Discovery Season 1. I've rewatched parts of Season 2. Uh, there are a couple of episodes of season three that I would watch again, but of Discovery, but but that's uh, I 
think I don't know whether that's just because it's still fresh, and I think maybe in time we'll go back to rewatching them, and it'll it'll sort of develop like the original series did, Next Generation did, Voyager. Because let's remember that after the after the original series, the because people seem to think that this gatekeeping of Star Trek is a new thing. It's it really isn't because the only difference is is that it's more instantaneous now than it was before. Because when TNG came out, there was there was the dislike of that, but for no other reason than it wasn't Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and various other little yeah, things I as mean, well. Yeah. There's, there's much made about the, the reception of TNG, but TNG got a big enough reception that it got seven seasons. Um, it, it did, yes, yeah. There was, yes, there was on Twitter and Facebook. And exactly, but would yeah. would that have happened had you know Twitter, you know the the the, the you know the vast and quick nature of um, the spreading of information or misinformation from Twitter, Facebook, and so on. If that had been around when TNG was launched, do you think it would have had that chance? Because I think that's where Discovery and Picard are getting a lot mm. of flack because. The you know the people that like it are saying what they think and they're they're promoting it and telling people they enjoy it, but the problem is with a lot of social media is the algorithms and people's natural tendency to go towards um, dis- uh, disappointing things and dangerous things and and things that make them angry. Yeah. The people that are negative about it, that breeds negativity and it just okay, spreads. But, but, but there are professional complainers out there, okay, that oh, have big, big followings on YouTube or whatever. Okay? And they, they make it their business not to like Discovery whether they like it or not, because they've discovered it's far more profitable for the monetization of their social media. Okay. And we're not going now, to mention any of them because at the end now, of the day, I don't want to give them any. Now, Discovery. Well, there's, and there's a lot of stuff about this 25% different license and stuff like that. I'm, I'm incredibly skeptical about what keeps coming up if you follow any of their, their channels. And also about how big of a flop it is. Now, um, I do not doubt. How many minute, times has Kurtzman been fired? Yeah, well, there's the Kurtzman fired one as well, but uh, actual what, how big a flop Picard and um, Discovery is. Now, I, I don't think that. The flops, okay. I, I don't think they're flops because they've come back for a fourth season. What I do think, however, um, is that Discovery certainly wasn't as successful as what Netflix had hoped it was going to be for them internationally. Um, the, it's not evidence of that, but if you look at the top 10 on Netflix in the UK, when Discovery was out, it would appear in the top 10 for a day or two, and then it would just drop off. And other programs that have been on for weeks, mm-hmm. such as The Crown or The Queen's Gambit, or most recently that really overrated Bridgerton, which I think we mentioned in last week's stuff when we were talking about uh, colorblind, or was it? I don't know if you did or not. I've slept since then. I know my podcast mixed up. Don't worry, it's old age. Um, when we were talking about colorblind casting, and um, I, I referred to the Amanda Nietzsche film David Copperfield as a, a when it works, and not that it doesn't work in Bridgerton because the stories are just weak. But I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not a twenty-year-old girl that it's aimed at. You know, I'm a fifty-year-old guy, so uh, it's not aimed at me. Um, really? I don't think it is. 
despite all the new bio young women. No, in it. no, I mean, I mean you're, you're a 50 year old guy. Shut it. Um, now we've lost one track because you, you deliberately. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, what we can say is that it's not. I would have thought Netflix must have been hoping that it would constantly be in the top 10 with what they paid for it, and it hasn't been. That's probably why Picard ended up on Amazon. So I don't think it's been a flop, but I certainly don't think it's been the success that Netflix had hoped um, it was going to be. I think, I think to be honest with you, they were expecting it to be welcomed with open arms from Star Trek fans, existing Star Trek fans. Um, but even the haters watch it. Which is, which is true. Even the haters watch it. Which is, which is true. I, and I stopped watching it because I, there was stuff I was enjoying more with my time, so I, I just stopped watching it and watched other stuff that I, I did like with my time. But yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see where they go with the Strange New Worlds. Now, I think, to be honest with you, I think that one will more than likely be available on Amazon or Netflix, but it'll be a paid availability. It won't be part of that that subscription. It's more than likely going to be on the Paramount Plus when it launches worldwide, which I don't know if it has yet or if it's due to. I think it's meant to do go live later this year. Um, but I think that's where I think that's what's going to happen going forward. So I think they're going to centralise everything with that. Still make it available for those outside but again i think it'd be like you, you pay like seven four or five pound a month or something like that to get you know a series or something stupid like that but it'd be inter- like i say that aside it'd be interesting to see where they go with strange new worlds because i think that's going to be the last and final opportunity for them to for those that are not fans of picard or discovery for them to redeem themselves a little bit because the I think it will make or, fit, uh, make or break it pure and simply because we already know that um, that Pike's timeline is predefined, right? So we know how long he go is, is is around for. We know what happens to him in the end. They've already established this in Discovery um, because I think it was if memory serves was the episode, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so they've already established what happens to Pike in Discovery, so it's not like they can use the, oh, it's a parallel universe excuse, because it's already it's already been made. Now, that's not to say that they won't go down that line, because it's a cheap shot they used in the Kelvin Timeline films. But the Kelvin Timeline films is a perfect example of how they had an opportunity with that and then went and... Completely. Stood on the shoulders of greatness again. So, I I'm a little bit sort of not worried, but concerned about Strange New Worlds because it has so much potential to be a really good TV uh, TV show, but it also has the potential to spoil it as well if they don't do it right. And I think they will. I I I'm optimistically saying that they they will make a good go of it, they will get it right, they will be sympathetic to it, and we'll get to see the the story of Pike, something we, a lot of people often wonder, a lot of people 
they're interested in. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. So um, any final thoughts on this little train wreck of an episode we've just made? Um, in terms of Star Trek going forward, um, obviously I'm not as excited for Strange New Worlds as I once would have been once upon mm-hmm. a time. Um, it's 2021. I think Cutsman's contract's up in 2023. Is he getting um, fired again, is he? Well, his contract, he got that five-year deal from Les Moonves. Um, he's got that, but with all the, the stuff that happened with Paramount and Viacom, um, even he's got a boss now when it comes to Star Trek. He's got Emma Watts, and uh, she seems to, anything that was green light when she took over, she went, right, that's fine, that can go ahead, but she stopped everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think... We will see Strange New Worlds. We ain't going to see Section 31. That's never happened. Never was happening. Um, mm. You know, the, the, a lot of people, oh, that's Michelle out the programme and that's her off to, uh, you know, film Section 31. No, she's not. She's on the set of Avatar because she's got a contract for five Avatar films. That's why she's not in Discovery anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there is no section there. So I think we'll get a season, we'll get another season of the cab, we'll get another season of Discovery, uh, we'll get another, we'll get one season of Strange New Worlds. And I think um, Emma Watts is taking a bit of time out to decide where she wants the franchise to go because it's now her responsibility. I think, I think to be honest with you, I think we could get a few seasons out of Strange New Worlds. Not before 2023. Not before 2030, you know. I think I'm, could... I'm talking about before Kirkston's contract. So. Oh, right, right. Okay. You know, pay attention. <laughs> so, well, season four has been filmed of Discovery because if you were on the Galaxy Con at the weekend, um, Jonathan Frakes was talking about he was in Toronto last week directing an episode. So, it's been filmed because Jonathan Frakes has said he's been filming it. So, if anybody says it's not been filmed, they're talking shit. Um, we'll, we'll set freaks on you. <laughs> Red alert. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm worried about Strange Worlds. I want it to be good, but I've I've just not seen the writing. Well, we shall. The only thing we can do is we can wait and see and see what happens and give it a fair crack of the whip and see what happens. Um, but yeah, I think unfortunately we have been at this. For way too long. More unfortunate for me because I've been spending time with you. You love me, really. You do. Stop pulling faces over soon. The listeners can't see that. Yeah, well, it's a good job they can't see that. Currently wrestling with my microphone at the moment because it's. No, is... but they'll, they'll be able to hear it. I can hear it wrestling with the microphone. I've got one on order, by the way. I have ordered a microphone, folks. Really? Yeah, it should be here tomorrow. Oh, what have you got? I don't know. I just picked up a 30-odd pound microphone, and that looks good. (laughs) I had one slight condenser and microphone and USB. I went, that'll do. Well, it's not. It's probably that might even be a similar one to what I've got. But, yeah, hell, now that I've ruined the entire show by wrestling with a uh, pain in the arse, pop filter um it's time to sign off for 
this particular episode. So thank you for listening once again. Um, as Gregor has mentioned in previous episodes, uh, please do get in touch with us and let us know uh, who you are, where you're from, so we can give you a proper shout out. Um, if, if you like Discovery, please come and tell me why you like Discovery. Give me a reason to like it. That's actually if someone a- can talk. If someone can talk to me and give me a viewpoint that's relevant and interesting and cohesive, I shall listen to you. The problem is when I go on social media and stuff like this, and I'll t- I, I'll explain why I don't like it, and then all I get back is I love it. It's great. Mm-hmm. And why is it great? If you ask me why the rapid cans great, I can tell you for about four hours why the rapid cans great. So there's a challenge. I'll tell you what, there you go. Um, to our possibly our regular listeners, any new listeners out there or anything like that, there you go. The challenge has been, you have been called out. Let's change Gregor's mind. There you go, there's the challenge, simple. You can even do it by contacting us on Twitter and trying to have your argument there, or you can come on to the show and we will discuss it on live on air. It's up to you. Um, you can get in touch with us. The uh, contact details are in the show notes. So um, you can find me at Albandroid. You can find Gregor at Crabbit Ginger. You can also follow the show at Spock Week. Sorry, at Spock Week, just Spock Week. And I say get in touch. If you want to say thank you or support the show in any way, you can do that by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Spock the Week pod. And you can uh, buy us a coffee or a beer. We've called it a beer because, you know, we're really alcoholics. Don't, don't, don't give her money, folks. You'll just spend it on beer. You won't spend it on coffee. You'll just spend it on beer. Yeah, beer is good. I'm oh, like, I'm, I'm like, uh, like Bender off Futurama. I, I function off a of beer. Not that shit that you've been drinking tonight that you've been holding up. That's not real beer. That's just rubbish. no. It's not. I will give you that. It's not real. It's, uh, it's. I mean, it's, it's one of those where I, it feels like I'm, it, it, it makes me feel like I'm having one, but I'm not actually having one. So I can work the next day, and it's only one, so it's barely even registered. So. On that final note, thank you for listening to us. We hope to see you again next week. Um, We have literally no idea what we're doing next week because we haven't recorded it yet. So it's a surprise. We're going to talk about Coxman's latest sacking. Okay, and to be honest with you, Gregor, congratulations, because you have yet, you have not, attempted to date this podcast the entire show have not no congratulations and did you watch the super bowl last night damn <laughs> and on that note guys did uh, you watch never mind the super bowl what about the rugby oh uh, and another congratulations in order for that as well by the way spot the scotsman so england got well humped oh well yes. humped. well deserved as well yeah and scotland have gone on to win the six nations well, we'll see. Wales at Murrayfield this Saturday. There we go. Just dated it twice in 30 seconds. Oh, right. Here's interesting then. As soon as you have dated this, so this will go out after. Right. 
let's let's have a little let's have a little fun with this, right? Where do you think Scotland are going to come in the Six Nations? Do you think they're well, going to win it? Well, I, I, I think they'll win the championship this year. Yeah. You think they? they think I don't know if they'll do the Grand Slam because going to Paris and winning is tough, mm. and to go to Twickenham and Paris in the same year and win both is a tall order, and France look pretty hot on this Saturday as well. So you think they're gonna they'll struggle through it, but they'll they will they will raise the trophy. Well, I think they'll beat Wales on Saturday, and I think they'll beat Ireland at home, and they'll beat Italy. So uh, when this episode goes live, I will be I will be on Twitter, and we will we will see if you've got this right. So on that note, guys, we'll leave that there. Um, live long and prosper, and we will see you again soon. Okie dokie. Just okie dokie, meant to say live long and Live long, live long and prosper. Thank infinite you. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Thank you for listening to Sparkler Week. Tune in next week for more Sparkler Week action and never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on the catcher that you are listening to us on. If you want to follow us on Twitter, then you can find us at Sparkler Week. Drop us a message, tell us how we're doing, or make a suggestion. We're welcome to all input from all our fans. So don't hesitate to get in touch and follow us on Twitter and on our Facebook page as well. Why not join us in 10 Forward if you like what we do and want to say thank you? The link for our Buy Me A Coffee page is in the show notes. So please check that out and uh, hopefully we'll see you there. If not, we will see you next week. Live long and prosper. It's up to you. As long as you come back next week and listen to us once again, we'll be happy to have you back. Live long and prosper. Cake is eternal.